0: this Frontline Series, we have been trusting God that you will get to a place where you are winning in the marketplace, where you're winning uh, from 9 to 5. So this morning, we have some great speakers coming to speak with us, uh, Bennett and Tracy. Some of you may already know them, but I want to read this just to describe who they are. Bennett is a business owner and director of various listed companies, including Impala, Arm, Zimplatz, and Extract. He's the chairman of Joburg Indaba and Junior Indaba Mining Conferences, and is the president of business chamber organizations, the AHI. He is also a partner in Thinkspiration. Some of you know that Bernard is also a former CEO of, of Harmony Mines. Tracy is a founder of Thinkspiration, a strategic leadership consultancy, and the author of The Leadership Red Tide and How to Escape It. I read this book over the December holidays And while reading this book, I laughed, I cried, I wept uh, because I had to repent on how I have managed and led people. So this is one of the books you want to get if you're a leader in the marketplace. This morning, we had a couple of them. They were sold out. We were able to get some more so you can get it after the service in the bookshop. And we have our card machine so you can be able to get it. Let's welcome Bennett and Tracy.
1: Thanks, Pastor Sai. I'm glad I could entertain you over your December holidays, and I just want to maybe offer you a, a sideline job as the marketing person for our business. Thank you very much. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person here, and I just pray that you would give us the words to touch every heart here with your message. Through your precious name, amen. So today we're talking about an Ideal Thriving Working Mindset. It's the second in the Frontline series. And when um, Pastor Simon asked Bernard and I to talk about what kind of mindset do you need to thrive and be effective in the workplace, we were delighted because it's an area of huge passion for us. We believe that whether you're a CEO running a huge company, an entrepreneur starting out your own business, a student, a sports person, an artist, everybody needs a mindset to thrive. So I'd like to start by framing the challenge um, of a thriving mindset. What does the challenge look like? I'm a little bit of a from to junkie, so I've framed it like this. How do we go from feeling like just a resource I just work here, I'm just getting through, to feeling like passionate, purposeful world changers. Now, just to give you a bit of context on that just a resource statement. um, When I was 10 years old, I dreamed of winning Wimbledon. And when I was 18, I got a scholarship to a US university. Um, I was delighted. I was playing the best tennis I had ever played. I made it to number one on the team, and the team had a chance of actually winning the conference league for the first time. The only problem was I picked up a little injury, a bit of a niggle down my leg, sciatica. But I tried to ignore it away, I carried on, and when that didn't really work, I started popping the pain pills, and pretty soon I was getting Voltaren shots into my back before every match. And that worked okay until it didn't. Um, Of course, it was the big final day, I got my usual shot, I went on and and warmed up, and the pain receded like it usually did. But then something else happened. Not only was I feeling no pain, I was also feeling no leg. Um, I I couldn't feel my leg because of severe nerve damage. Um, Now, you can imagine walking in this condition is, is tough. Playing tennis, it's impossible. But I looked across the court, and there I saw my coach, Chris Langdon, and I thought, well, thank goodness. He's here. He'll know what to do. He's got my best interests at heart. So I made my way over to him. um, I told him what had happened. And his response was, you better stop your nonsense and pull yourself together if you want to keep your scholarship. So the pain of that moment wasn't actually the physical pain. It wasn't even the mental anguish that this could be the end of my dream. It was actually that realization that to this guy... I was just a resource, and not a particularly useful one at that point. And I obviously survived, I made it through, Um, I've worked in in many industries since then. I've worked in advertising, gold mining, with lots of technical people, mining engineers, metallurgists, also arty people, creatives, designers, and we also in our business work with CEOs and and their teams, and also people on the shop floor and the rock face. You know, if I had a rand, or maybe let's make that a dollar, just two, Um, for every time I've heard that, I feel like just a resource, sentiment echoed from that whole array of people. I think I would have piled up more money than had I won Wimbledon in the first place. So it really is a problem, what we're seeing in the workplace right now. It's pervasive, there's, there's this growing disillusionment with the world of work. Even our faces, when we say the word, work, it's, it's, not, a, it's not happy, I can see some people. <laughs> it's often, you know, we feel like it's a life sentence. I'm going I'm to sort of get through this and then I'm going to go and have some fun. I'm gonna, when am I going to retire? We, it's, it's really something to be free of and to escape from. And for many of us, it's little more than a four-letter word. In fact, just the other day, I bumped into another school mom in the parking lot, Liesl. Um, Liesl has just resigned from a big corporate banking job, big title, big um, money, and I barely recognized her, for starters. Um, She looked 10 years younger, and I, I wanted to find out. I said to her, how's it going, Liesl, now your new life? How are you adjusting? And she said, you know what? I couldn't be happier. I am free. I am myself. I'm finding my creativity but she said, you know what the best thing is? I don't have to wake up every morning and think, who is going to destroy me today? I mean, and, and you know, sadly, it's not a once-off anecdote. that It's pervasive. We see a lot of that um, toxicity, the politics, um, and, 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 and those kinds of things in the businesses that we deal with. We actually even measure this problem, or Gallup do, um, they measure engagement and they've been measuring it for quite a few years and the needle hasn't really moved, despite a lot of energy and effort that's gone into trying to address this problem. So what Gallup find globally is that only 13% of people are engaged. Engaged means they love their jobs, they will go the extra mile, they'll take the initiative, they'll problem solve, they'll do what it takes to get the job done. Only 13% of people are in that frame of mind, that working mindset, which means that 87% of people are disengaged or somewhere on that spectrum, planning when to leave, dead weights, actively sabotaging, not good stuff. Um, Now, I'm I'm quite a practical person, so I like to think of it like this. On any Monday morning, only 13% of people are waking up feeling like this. If you could play that clip. Thank you. I see that R. Kelly got you in the right mood a bit (laughs) earlier. But it means that 87% of people on a Monday morning a waking up feeling like this.
0: Oh darkness my old friend. <laughs> I've come to talk with
2: you again.
0: Just another manic
1: Monday. And on that depressing note I hand over to my husband.
2: <laughs> I don't want this association with depression and me getting too strong here. So, the tragedy is, uh, as uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes says, most of us go to our graves with our music still inside us. Now, that can't be right. That's not God's will. That's not how it's meant to be, and that's why we should not allow that. Um, but we see this in, in many organizations. I mean, this is a young audience. This is Trace and my This is our home, so we are so honored to be here in this specific service. And I know we are the old ones here. But this young audience, you can't allow this to be true. We need to change this. This is a revolution of the workplace we need. Now, when old people ask young people to lead revolutions, that's always dangerous. (laughs) But we really need your help in this. So we spent over half of our lives work, certainly I work week, five days more than half of your time spend at work, that's not meant to be slavery or a sentence so our lives now, the last many years, we have looked for ways to make these two circles overlap how can we get the daily meaning The calling, your call, your calling. How could we help people to understand that it can be overlapping with also earning the daily bread? Now, on the 26th of January, the year 2000, I met the most amazing person ever. I later married her. But at the time, I had such a need... uh, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had such a need as the then uh, chief executive of a big mining company. We were on a roll. People loved our story. I could go to New York, raise literally in those days billions of rands for investment into the gold mining industry of South Africa. When I presented in New Orleans, it was standing room only. However, the, by then 35 or 40,000 people in the organization felt differently they were not as excited. I knew that I was failing them as a leader. The huge responsibility to make their work meaningful, I did not achieve. And knowing it, of course, is but one thing, dealing with it is the challenge, and that's why I went looking for expertise. I found the world's expert, or so she told me at the time. <laughs> she was a bit low on the, I haven't practiced all of these things, but the theory was good and solid. And since then, she's practiced it to the point that she is truly a world expert on how do we get people to uh, find meaning in their life. Now, you will find it easy to say, yeah, but. And we have to deal with the buts in our life. So when I grew up, my dad worked as a surface carpenter on the mines. He unfortunately lost his jobs in Rustenburg at the time, just as I was about to go into Matrix major disruption. Nothing went according to plan. I did okay, and therefore I could get a bursary to become a mining engineer, but that was not what I thought I was meant to be. However, the role modeling of my parents, the walking in the face that this is God's plan, made it possible for me to go through some tough times in my younger life. I'm talking work-wise. I'm talking about Working shifts that you can't see how God, how is this part of your plan for me? And I said, part of your plan that these cockroaches run up my overall and I can't run anywhere because I'm lying on my tummy in the dark in the underground mine. I tell you what, if you walk in faith, it is God's plan, He is preparing you, He is giving you what you need later in your life at this time. So if life is not all fun, I'm sorry, but it's good for you. The current pain, the hardness, the tough, the challenge, if you walk in faith, it is going to work out good for you. So when we talk about this um, world of work, what amazes me, and that's perhaps because I think of myself as a scientist and a numbers person, is science actually knows what makes people thrive. And yet, in business, we do exactly the opposite. We're not slightly off target. In most instances, we do exactly the opposite. So when you talk about neuroscience, how our brains work, psychology, behavioral science, we know what makes people thrive. But what do we do in an organization? Well, let's just start by saying we don't trust the people. We give them titles like human resources. You remember what she said about being a resource. But we don't trust you. We don't trust you to give your best. We don't trust you to be on time. We don't trust you to only take the leave you. I mean, we don't trust you. We don't trust you to give your best. So we have to have performance interviews and performance. uh, uh, If we don't incentivize you, if we don't give you money, you will never give your best, will you? So that's what we do as corporate world. Now, that's going to happen to you. However, my plea to you is to not be affected by that and to keep on thinking and remembering that in your current role, you may not think you're a leader. Let me ask, rather, young audiences respond. You can't ask this of old people, but young audiences do respond. Who of you here are leaders? Is the leader now? Okay, it's a group you failed. I'm going to ask again. I'm going to keep on asking until everybody raises their hand. So, who of you is actually a leader? You are. If you are in a relationship with one other person which you influence, you're a leader. So, if you're a parent, you're a leader. If you are making disciples, you're a leader. If you are in any relationship where you influence somebody else, you're a leader. So, this is not for me. This is for all of us. So, I want to, uh, my wife, she she passes out when I go off script. I mean, she is so concerned. Look at her. Um, She's not in control for the moment. It is really killing her. Uh, I'll get back under control. It's actually quite important. And for Trace and I in the work we do over the last 20 years, this is really an anchor scripture. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I said in the earlier service, that you notice there's no little asterisk saying, this does not apply to work. This is for Sundays only. This applies to all of us. All All of our time, all of our lives, it applies. So my plea, before I hand back over to Tracy, so you can start breathing, um, is that we should be very careful that we don't conform in order to climb the ladder. And then when you get to the top of the ladder, you are not swiping
1: I have to say, off script is better. <laughs> We see a lot of those people that are at the top of the corporate ladder, and they certainly aren't thriving. It's, it's, it's really tragic. So, thank you. Bernard talked about the research that, that actually provides hope, that shows us the direction that we need to go in. And there's lots of research, but this particular piece, I think, is, is really relevant to what we're talking about today. This was conducted by a Yale psychologist uh, after doing hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And what she found is that people generally see what they do in three specific ways. So they either see it as a job that is a chore, you get a paycheck, you're actually like sitting there secretly planning when you're going on your leave again. Um, They see it as a career So, you need to work to earn, but you also need to climb the ladder of success and and get those promotions, or they see it as a calling, an end in itself for the greater good draws on strengths, meaning, and purpose. Now two very interesting conclusions here is that your actual career and how you see what you do have nothing to do with each other. In other words, mindset determines meaning, so you can have a a doctor that sees what he does as a chore, as a job, as something just for a paycheck. Or on the the far other end of the continuum, you can have a janitor that sees what she does as a calling. So it's really about the way you see what you do. It's your mindset that's so important. The second very interesting um, conclusion that, that comes out of this is, guess who are the people that are the most thriving, the most effective, um, the most successful in the workplace, the people that see what they do is a calling because you put in the extra hours, you, you are intrinsically motivated, you are absolutely engaged and there. So what does the ideal working mindset look like? And um, I put this model together, it's part of um, my book. Uh, But after looking at all the the research from neuroscience and behavioral science, what it indicates is we need more of those things on the right-hand side, where the green arrow is, to thrive. So in the environments that we are functioning in, we need more play, more trust, more love, yes, actually love, and purpose. We need to focus more on strengths. We need to focus more on progress and not so much on actual numbers, and we need to put it into practice. We need to stop theorizing and talking about it, and we need to actually do it. Now, I'm sure you can tell I could wax on about this for hours. Um, I need to stop myself, but when we were preparing this, we we, we looked at it and we said, you know, what's the one thing that is disproportionately powerful in here? What's the one thing that... You could really, could start really transforming your working mindset. And the answer to that is a strengths-focused working mindset. So that's what we're going to be talking about um, and, and explore a little bit in the rest of the time left. What does the Bible say about strengths? Well, firstly, we create it in God's image. Secondly, we are unique. God has put inside of us, each one of us, specific, unique gifts and talents that are as unique as our fingerprints. And we're part of a bigger picture. We're part of the body of Christ. These two scriptures are found really insightful in terms of, of illustrating those points. Galatians 6, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself To anyone else. A lot of the stuff that goes wrong in the corporate world is about comparison, insecurity, and then people don't feel good and and it just all unravels from there. And then in Romans 12, verse 3 to 6, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. So Bernard will, will elaborate in terms of how understanding your own strengths and how it, it really ignites teamwork. But it's really exactly that same principle. And I, I love the, the very clear analogy in terms of, of the body. We're part of the body of Christ. So back to Reality back to the the world of work that most of us function in. What goes wrong? Um, When we've got the, the, the neuroscience and all the research, we've got the biblical blueprint, I think there's a prevailing predominant mentality that we have to fix what's wrong rather than build on what's right. I don't know about you, but I've never left a performance appraisal interview walking on air, feeling like a purposeful, passionate world changer. I hope that those little smiles I see are indications that I'm not alone. Um, Because really, those sessions, what do they do? You spend your time talking about what you are not good at, what you could only, I mean, admin, IT skills, I could only ever, with a whole lot of work, get up to an average level. That's not going to change the world. I mean, if you look at the great strengths of people that have changed the world, they, they have been uh, Steve Jobs, um, Richard Branson. They may not have been good at other things, but they used their strengths to to make a dent in, in the universe. Then the other thing that happens is that if we all have this mentality that we are the same and we have to fit into the same box, to one-size-fits-all, which inevitably leads to... Comparison, it leads then to insecurity. It leads to politics. Then it leads to the toxic environment that we're talking talking about. Um, It it doesn't really take us very far. Thirdly, this kind of mentality reduces us to a number, a two, a three, even a ten. It's still very dehumanizing and demeaning, and it's somebody else's viewpoint, Um, somebody else judging giving us a score. Finally, the results. Um, Very interestingly, just in terms of performance management, and and I'm not talking only about performance management here, but it's very interesting that a lot of businesses, GE, Microsoft, Google, are actually abandoning their performance management systems as they were, because they are seeing that they are not working. I mean, if you look at those engagement stats, 13% of people are engaged. It's not working. We've got to actually change some things.
2: Thank you, Trace. So uh, I want to briefly talk about uh, what are the benefits of what we talk about, the strength-focused working mindset. Do what you are good at and enjoy it. Now, we often say to young people, if you wonder what your strengths are, just think about what you are enjoying. When are you having fun? Often that is an overlap. If you don't. You can go for psychometric tests. You can do lots of things, but just think: when are you in the zone? Yeah. And if that's from God, then it's a talent. Then clearly you were meant to have that and work at that. I'm a firm believer in staying your lane. This is the crux of teamwork. If you bring your best, your strength, and you do that, and you stay in that lane, you don't end up. Trying to do other people's stuff and work. You get the right people around you. That, in my mind, is how you get the benefits of teamwork and the benefits of focusing on people's strengths. Trace has admitted to some of her weaknesses. She may have one or two others, which will remain um, silent. Um, I, of course, don't really have a lot of weaknesses, except (laughs) humility I would probably rate up there, possibly. (laughs) <laughs> as engineers, Pastor si, we we really are in pursuit of perfection, at least. Um, now, on a more serious note, obviously, in my mind, if you know yourself, your strengths, of course you'll be aware of your weaknesses. All I'm saying is don't waste your time on that. You stay in your lane. I've always found, even in the days when my job was a job, I could see it as a career, but the moment you, fit, you find how that fits into your calling, then the pieces fall together. Then night shift suddenly does make sense. Then being in a job which for the moment is painful, it actually takes you forward. And of course, if we believe God's plan is good, we can only ever disagree with God, or so I find in terms of timing. God's timing and my timing hasn't always been aligned. God has always been right. When I was impatient, I had to wait. When I was uh, ready to move and it wasn't God's plan, later I find out, you know, that was the wrong door, not the right place, etc. So timing is a big challenge, but if you walk in your purpose and your destiny, and of course we need signposts. You, de- you need to finish school. You need to get a decent matric. If you go to university, you have to pass. Those are signposts. I don't think they need to define you. They're not the end goal, but we do need those. And in your career, of course, as much so as well. What we focus on, growth. Try that in a relationship. Try focusing on your partner's strength, the beauty, the amazingness. It's amazing how amazing she really becomes. (laughs) She was quite amazing before I met her. She's amazingly amazing now. <laughs> now, I wanna talk a little bit about how this fits into teams and teamwork. And I think the best is to uh, tell you uh, uh, something I read. Francois Pinard was the Springbok captain when South Africa won the World Cup in 1995. Ah, yeah, remember famously him and Madiba, they both made amazing speeches. A few years earlier, he joined the then-struggling Transvaal rugby team. He became the captain. And what he did was he took, however big the group was, 25 guys in the change house, in the change room. He he put them all down, and one after the other, he made them stand up. And if the guy stood up, the other p- people in the team had to say, What they see in that man that is amazing? What do they see that is the strength? Now, I don't know. I wasn't there. But it would have been basic things like you're a great tackler. Or your ability to pass a ball is amazing. Or I like the way in which you, you know, always help me in a tackle or whatever. It was a turning point in a team that went from, and I mean, we recently saw that again with the Lions from the bottom of the league to write to the top. So, focusing on strength actually works. But, of course there's a but. When you sit with a CEO, he says, yeah, I hear this stuff, but isn't this gonna make my people complacent? You really think I can go without measuring them, telling them that they need to shape up? Um, you know, What about the weaknesses? But remember, team is there supplement its other strengths. Often, when we speak in, in, in Christian audi- audiences, people say, but isn't this prideful and boastful? But I challenge you, if your talent is from God, you acknowledge that. How can it be boastful to work on that? How can using the talent that God gave you be boastful? Of course, it can be boastful if you do it in a silly way, but I'm Absolutely convinced that this is perfectly consistent with God. what, what God wanted for us in our lives. So, uh, obviously we need to note that nobody is perfect. I think I'm a close approximation on a later <laughs> note. I married perfection. But even in a corporate world, we are found to be short. We've got skills that aren't there. So, yes, of course. But the the way to neutralize it is through team. I think it makes for a world where I don't have to be better. I don't have to be better than my colleague. I need to be the best myself. It is really, that is something you can do at age 21, at age 31, at age 41. gets a bit easier at age 51. Pastor Roger would know. Those of us approximating 861, it gets easier, but you can practice this any time and any place in your career. Um, So in my mind, then the opposite. When we know who we are, we can relax, we can stop competing or trying to keep up with others. That will set you free. That will make you the leader you are meant to be. I'm uh, wrapping up because uh, my wife has to have the last word. A strength-focused working mindset. So what is the new pattern we are talking about? We must know, understand, and grow our strengths. You have to work at it. I read often about kids that were amazingly talented and never worked on their talent. We all were told Wayne Ferreira was probably one of the uh, most amazing tennis talents ever. You would say he achieved a lot. People say he should have achieved more depending on how you work at it. So talent is God-given, and we have to work at it. Seek out other strengths. Do you know how you find that? You pay attention. You shut up and listen. Am I allowed to say that in church? Oh, good. You shut up and listen. It's amazing what you learn there. Share, appreciate, and leverage other people's strengths. As a manager, as a leader, to me, it's a lot easier It's cheaper. It doesn't even cost money. It works so much better. It's amazing that in the business world, we throw money at problems that can be solved cheaper and more efficiently and better without money. So when this was done, the same uh, measurement applied by uh, the same organization then finds that engagement levels go up by 59%, we can call it 60%. Productivity, 31% up. Think of your business. Think of the organization you work in. I'm a miner. We are struggling. We are not making money. We are laying off people. Can you imagine if we could unlock 31% productivity? Firstly, the people will have more fun and everybody will be better. And then, obviously, it triples creativity which is the real magic of any organization.
1: So just a a quick recap. What we've shared with you is that the workplace right now is anything but a place of thriving working mindsets. But we are the people that actually have to change it how do we need to change it? We need to look to the research that is coming out of every, everywhere, and we need to go back to what the Bible says. And we've, we've shared with you a little bit of, of the power of just a strengths-focused working mindset and what that can achieve. Let's remember that at the end of this all and at the beginning of this all, it comes back to Jesus He died on the cross for us, not for us to spend the majority of our lives working nine to five, 40-hour weeks, getting through. He died for us to become purposeful, passionate world changers, fulfilling our destiny, living out our calling, and waking up every day thinking, this is going to be the best day of my life.